Let's open our Bibles to the book of James, if you would, please. Chapter 4. Because I love you, I'm going to convict you again here this morning. We're going to talk about the tongue. Taming the tongue. Keys to controlling our words. This is number four in our series. Not sure how long it's going to go, but I was able to do some extra study this past week with the ladies gone to the retreat. So it could be a while. So many verses in the book of Proverbs especially, so I don't know how to group those all together. But uh, today the title is the uh, deeper, uh, excuse me, the deeper implications of slander. Now, um, what we're talking about actually is uh, in the legal world called defamation of character. It is uh, easy to understand that word, just de meaning not, and defaming somebody. That's the overall uh, word, but the, how it's done is done by two ways, slander and libel. Slander is what's done orally, and libel is what's done written. Really, uh, defamation of character, uh, slander, libel is uh, cases have risen to an all-time high in America. Maybe it's because of the internet and the access that people have to writing things. Maybe it's just because we live in such a disrespectful world. I don't know, but I mean, it is just atrocious. Our first lady, Melania Trump, in 2017, had to file a defamation action in New York State somehow to stop the sleazy periodical known as the Daily Mail. They made allegations that uh, before she uh, was married to our president, that she actually worked as an escort. Uh, terrible uh, thing to say to someone in that position. Uh, the court uh, agreed. Uh, originally, I guess the case was uh, supposed to be settled for $30 million, <laughs> but they actually settled for over a million, and then they printed an apology. Of course, the damage was already done. It's terrible how that the uh, radical left is using. It's one of their main tools today is slander and libel, defamation of character. Liberals frequently label conservatives and their conservative beliefs as far right. Even though they're just mainstream, they're called far right. That's the word they use. Christians who support biblical marriage are called anti-gay. All conservatives are grouped as racist, even when clearly they're not. They continually devise new terms to blacken reputation. A few couple years ago when uh, Mrs. Clinton was running, uh, I kept hearing her using all kinds of new words I never even heard of before. One of them was misogynist. I had no idea what that was. I looked it up, but the idea is that if you believe in biblical roles of marriage and men and women in the Scripture, somehow you're anti-women, you're a misogynist. If you believe in America should flourish, you're a nationalist. The fact is uh, we are in a culture war, and one of the primary tools of the radical left is to use libel, to use slander, for the defamation of anybody and everyone. They possibly would be against them. 
But while it's a tremendous culture war for us today, it actually is as old as humanity. And we're going to see James point out that it's not only a bad policy, not only an unloving act, but as we're going to see today, it actually has far deeper implications than just gossip. And we'll see what those are this morning. Well, I certainly laugh when I read this one, Harry, at the church gossip. Harriet, the church gossip, kept sticking her nose into other people's business, talking about everybody. Several residents were unappreciative of what she was doing, but feared her enough to keep their silence. She made a mistake, however, when she accused a new member in the church, George, of being an alcoholic after she saw his work truck parked all afternoon in front of the town's only bar. She commented to George and others, anybody she could get her hands on, that she knew he must be an alcoholic because she saw his truck there. George, a man of few words, stared her for a few moments, then just walked away, said nothing. But later that evening, George quietly parked his pickup in front of Harriet's house and left it there all night long. (laughs) There you go. All right, the church gossip. Let's all bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, your care and your mercy and your grace. Oh, God, the truth is, if any of us could control our tongue, we'd be perfect. But Lord, we thank you for your mercy, but we are reminded how important it is to be, uh, to watch what we say and to use our tongues for good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Holy Spirit has inspired Brother James, the blue denim preacher. He was a working man's preacher. He was uh, the practical preacher, brother of our Lord. James chapter 4 and verse 11 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Now, remember, the book of James is saying... Now that you're a Christian, now that you have faith, put works, Christian works, to that faith. And no work makes it any more an indicator that you're a Christian than control of our tongue. The Greek word here uh, for speak not evil is anything, whether it's spoken or written, anything with the intent to hurt or injure another person's reputation. By the way, I did just a little bit of legal study, not that I have any knowledge in that area, but just it's kind of intriguing. And that is one of the key issues about defamation of character is intent or reckless uh, regard for the truth. But when a person's intent is to hurt another person's reputation, uh, of course, uh, we shouldn't share anything that's false. And, of course, we shouldn't share anything that's even doubtful. But actually, this verse indicates that we're not even supposed to share things that are true if it's the intent is to injure somebody's reputation. Now, there are obvious exceptions, and we'll just get those out of the way so that we can spend the necessary time on this Scripture. For example, if you are called a witness in a legal case, then obviously you're supposed to speak evil of someone, in a sense. I mean... If you are called to be a witness, you're put there by the government, that's a necessary thing to do. 
So if you're called to be a witness, two W's here. The second thing is if you're called to be a warner. Uh, for example, if you're a father or mother and you have to warn your children about somebody, that's not a defamation of character. That's something you need to do to warn them, to be clear of them. Maybe it's a, a partner in business. Maybe it's a fellow employee. Maybe it's a neighbor. Uh, whatever the case, but when you, a spiritual leader who warns his people, Paul certainly named names. I mean, he, there's so many names in Scripture. I've often thought, my goodness, I, uh, as many crazy things I've done in my life, I'd hate to be the one that Paul had named. And everybody for all of eternity, you know, knows that's the one person that did that. But, uh, but Paul had to warn names, or he had to warn people, so he named names. So in that case, certainly, it's not uh, uh, the defamation of character. And certainly, there's nothing unbiblical about talking about people. Some remind us that we should never talk about people. And I, to some degree, that's probably wise. But the fact is, Jesus talked about people often. He commended people for their good works. And he would tell a crowd about a certain person or a certain person doing something good. So uh, commending other people is certainly not uh, a bad thing to do. And even uh, sharing someone's hurts or someone's heartaches, uh, it's not especially wrong, uh, especially when you're sincere and you want to share a prayer request. And so um, th those things there that I'm speaking about are not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is sharing things for the intent of injuring or to get back at someone or to satisfy our jealousy or to whatever our motives might be. But there are deeper implications that we may have never realized about gossip. Let's look at those this morning. And I, I think it's fascinating that Brother James here says, folks, you need to realize this is not just as simple as a loose tongue. This is some serious stuff. Let's go to verse 11. And the first reason is because of others. You are brethren. The first reason that we ought to be careful about what we say is that you are brothers and sisters in Christ. Others are the issue. Verse 11, speak not evil one of another. Brethren, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother. Four times there in that first sentence, he talks about brothers. That's why a lot of times in church we'll call Brother Eugene or Sister Bonnie. And we just use that little term just as a, it's a cultural thing, I suspect, and uh, some groups don't uh, use those terms, but I think it's a, a warm meaning, and I think it's actually a scriptural one to call somebody brother or sister. Because the fact is, we are all part, when you are a born-again Christian, you are part of the family of God. And as such, you have a unique bond. Now, the word speaking evil is actually a very unique word. Uh, it uh, has a very long uh, terminology that describes that uh, actual term, but the simple phrase is it's a sound word. What is a sound word? A sound word is when the word actually doesn't mean anything other than the sound that it makes. For example, bam, or splish, or splash, or murmur. Those aren't roots from Greek or Latin or any other language, those are sound words. They, a bee buzzes. It's not a root word. It's just, it's, the, it's a sound word. That's actually what this word is. And actually, the Greek word is katalaleo. It's actually like four little lalas. Katalalalalala. Katalalalalala. 
Actually, what it's really meaning is blah, 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 blah. That's exactly what it's meaning. I just laughed when I read that. I thought, isn't that something? We still use that today. God said, don't blah, 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 blah. The fact is, it's the words. It makes no difference what you're saying. It's just the same old blah, 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 blah. Don't do it. Now, there are many examples in Scripture, many of them, who could not remind ourselves of how often Paul was criticized and he was injured with false reports and or our Savior for sure. I remember in the first Kings chapter 21 about a wimpy King Ahab. You remember the story? He uh, had a kingdom in Samaria. And uh, next to his uh, big palace there was a beautiful vineyard. I mean, it was just gorgeous. It had everything you can imagine. It had some rolling hills, probably had a stream right by there, and it uh, was right adjacent to his palace. Every day he would look out his room and see this vineyard. It was owned by a fellow by the name of Naboth. Boy, King Ahab would do anything to have that vineyard. He, he uh, said, I'll give you some land far greater uh, than that. I'll um, I'll pay for it. I'll, you name it. You just tell me. You can. I'll take care of you. But Naboth said, no, it's not, not going to happen. It's been in my family for all these years. I'm not going to sell it. Oh, boy, that just made the king so upset. He pouted and he sulked and he went back home. But he had quite a wife. He had a gossip for a wife for sure. Her name was Jezebel. And old Jezebel knew how to take care of business. She want, didn't want to see her little wimpy husband upset, so she got uh, some slander going to get against Naboth. And that's exactly what we see in Scripture over and over again, people that, are, that uh, criticize others. How often God reminds us, though, that when you're family, it shouldn't be that way. Many times in Scripture, God uses familial terms to describe a relationship. God is called the Father. Jesus is called the Son. We are called birthed believers, born-again believers. We're birthed into a spiritual family. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called the sons of God. You mean the sons of sin, the sons of Adam? The daughters of Adam, we become a child of God. Yes, actually, a child of God. The moment we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of our sins, we become birthed into the family of God. And that's why it says here, unbelievable that you could be called a son of God, but we're part of God's family. God's family, I mean, that's an amazing fact. In fact, look what it says in Romans chapter 8. Here the Holy Spirit reminds us that when the Holy Spirit speaks inside of you, you sense a, a comfortableness with heaven and a comfortableness with being around God's people. You just, those are your people. You just have that sense. Here's what it says, in, starting in verse 14 of chapter 8. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, you just get that sense from God. That you are a son of God, you're a child of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage to fear, thank God. But you're not afraid of being around God's people or being in church, you love it. But you have received the spirit of adoption. We've been adopted into the family of God, whereby we cry, Abba. You know, in many languages, Abba is actually the word for daddy. And when we were in Greece, they were calling the daddies Abba. Abba. It means daddy, father. 
We are so comfortable with our heavenly Father, God allows us to call Him Daddy. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We're part of the family of God. There's this amazing connection, and the Holy Spirit brings us together. That's all those verses are saying. When we were in Ukraine, we, had, uh, we went to a, a certain uh, place there, a certain little tour we went to, and uh, everybody was uh, Russian or Ukrainian or one of those Slavic nations, and they were speaking in Russian. And I mean, uh, you know, some countries you go to, you see English, you read, hear English, but we were, there was no English anywhere. And so we were just kind of lost. We're just kind of just um, looking at things. And someone overheard, Pauline and I, and uh, Joel and Lorraine speaking in English. And they came over, their eyes were big, and they were so bright. They were bilingual. They spoke both Russian and English. But they were so excited because they were from the uh, U.K. And they said, I can't believe this is so good. And there was this connection to an English speaker. They had been so used to all the Russian speakers that it just made them feel good to be part of this special English family, you know. And that's kind of what we are when we come to church. You're like, these are my people, you know. And it just feels good to be part of God's people. And that's what he's saying here. Because you're part of God's people, your family, then don't speak evil of each other. Be there for each other. Have each other's back and make sure that you watch out for each other. This is something very important. God says, look, it's important that when you're family, you don't throw each other under the bus. You don't uh, criticize each other. You don't say bad things. You don't try to hurt the reputation. You don't sp spread, you know, bad things that happen, secret faults and things like that. There's just no purpose behind that. You are family. When you're family, there's no need to do those kind of things. You know, it's a sad thing to be out in this world and be hurt by people, but it's pretty common. I mean, it's no matter where you go, it seems like somebody's hurting somebody with mean words or mean looks or driving on the roads anymore. I mean, good night. If you, if you can get from point A to point B without somebody, you know, making some gesture to you anymore, it's like, it's amazing. The fact is that shouldn't be with Christ. It shouldn't be with God's family. But sadly, so often we are, we are hurt by the very people that we're supposed to be loved by. Zechariah, the great Old Testament prophet, talked about this. 600 years before Christ. You may have never noticed this first, but let me read it to you. Zechariah chapter 13, verse number 6. By the way, thank God for the book of Zechariah. You talk about prophetical um, reminders of Christ. He is the messianic prophet. I will tell you, what an amazing prophet. He was a man of God. He preached about uh, 500 or so uh, B.C., and uh, he was one that, after the captivity, he was trying to draw people back uh, to, the, to God. And, and, and in that, he spoke of Christ. Not only was he speaking to the people that were there, but he had, a, as so many of the prophetical inspirations, they are double meaning, and this was one of them. Look at verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? What are the wounds that are in the hands of the Messiah? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now, the primary interpretation of that is, is that Jesus was killed by the Jewish people, his friends. He was wounded in their house. But the fact is, that is so often the case by the very people that you love. 
Sometimes it's a father, sometimes it's a mother, sometimes a husband or wife, sometimes it's a child, sometimes it's a in-law, but wounded in the house of your friends. We might imagine we go to the house and that's where you'd find some support and that's where you find somebody to kind of hold you up and someone to kind of understand the problems you've been through. And uh, recently, I've been, I don't know what it is, but one of my hands uh, gets uh, kind of numb in the middle of the night. It's the craziest thing. And I'll wake up and that thing will be frozen, you know, just kind of be frozen. So then I try, I, and it's hurting. So I'm trying to wake it up, you know. Well, I'm, I can't, if I shake it like that, the whole bed shakes. And so I wake up Pauline, so I think, what am I going to do? I don't want to go sit in a chair. I don't want to go downstairs. I want the stupid thing to wake up. And so, so anyway, I was telling her my problems the other day, and uh, she was so kind, and she just, uh, you know, oh, I feel so sorry for you, you know, and your poor hand, and, and I was thinking, you know, it's a stupid thing, but the fact is, I was thankful that somebody could feel that way, and, but so often we go to church and hope that someone will, you know, uh, understand our crazy hand that's fallen asleep, or someone will understand the heartaches we've been having, or the issues we've been having with our kids, or whatever the case is, but we're wounded in the house of our friends. How sad, how incredibly sad that somebody feels like it's their responsibility to wound someone in the church, or wound someone that's uh, there in the family of God. The fact is, uh, if you're going to try to do right, you're going to be wounded, the great preacher Haddon Robinson gave, I think, some real perspective on this. He told the story of a young musician who had uh, given a tremendous concert. Unfortunately, it wasn't uh, well received by the critics. The uh, famous composer, Finnish composer, Jean Zabelius, counseled him and encouraged him and patted him on the shoulder. And he said, remember, son... And I love this. Remember, son, there is no city in the world where they have a statue to a critic. <laughs> there's no city in the world where there's a statue to a critic. You just keep playing that instrument, and one day they'll make a statue to you. The critics, and I thought about it, you know, that's true. It's, uh, it's people that are out there trying to do something. And Unfortunately, when you're out there trying to do something, people, toxic family members, uh, don't uh, treat you very nice sometimes, and you're wounding. Your crucifixion, however, might mean something. And so if that's what it takes, if, if I'm wounded in the house of my friends, may I be like Jesus, and may my crucifixion mean something. And if it means something for somebody, maybe it'll encourage. Benjamin Franklin said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. But it's tragic, James says, when it's your family. It's your spiritual family. My brother and I, I have one brother, and he's 11 years older than I am, and uh, he is a good man, and he doesn't have the same journey that I've had, but uh, just a good man. Now, over the years, I might have had some issues with certain things, but I would never get a paper, write out everything I think about my brother, type it up, and put it on the internet. Never. I would never do such a thing. Why? It was my brother. I mean, he, you know, he's, now, I'm not going to condone it. I'm not going to, you know, uh, make it happen so he can uh, 
practice whatever. No, I wouldn't do any of that. But I'm, at the same time, I'm not going to do that either. It's the same thing it is with God's people. There's no reason to talk about it. There's just no reason to publish it. Now, if there's a warning that needs to take place, you're a spiritual leader. But just to talk, it's a whole nother ballgame. God said, look, don't do this because you're brethren. Number two, there's a second reason why we must not gossip or slander or libel or defamation of character because of the law. It is perfect. Now we're going to get into some doctrinal things here. So I want you to listen closely. Look at the last part of verse 11. When you speak evil, you speak evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. When we speak evil of others, when we accuse people of doing wrong, when we don't know it to be the case, when we make derogatory statements with malicious motives, when we meddle in the personal affairs of others, when we broadcast private sins, you'd say, well, that's just not very loving. That's not being family. That's true, but it's deeper than that. It is in effect to judge Scripture itself. It's saying the Bible is too strict. The Bible's too difficult. It's too narrow. I shouldn't have to be under those kind of rules. I shouldn't have to be boundaried in by those kind of uh, archaic thoughts that you can't say anything. You know, that's, uh, that's muzzling me. And, uh, you know, I, I should be empowered and, you know, freedom of the press. No, God says you're speaking evil of the law. For example, in Proverbs chapter 6, we remember the very famous words and ones that strike fear in our hearts when God says there are six things that God hates. Oh, wow, man, that's, a, that's some strong language there. In Proverbs chapter 6, there are six things that God hates, but there is a seventh that's an abomination. Now, as bad as the six are that he hates, two of them, by the way, have to do with the tongue. The seventh he said, is an absolute abomination. Here's what it is. Proverbs 6 and verse 19, a false witness that speaketh lies. And number seven, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Any person who sows discord. Now, discord means to when the cords are off. And you know, when you hear the cords that don't work together right, oh man. I remember years ago, I tried to sing a solo and I said, I had a good brother, and he said, I'll try to help you. He's a really good musician. And so I sang a few bars, and he said, you're flat on this particular note. I said, I'm flat. Okay. He said, go up here. So I tried, and then he said, you're sharp on this one. I said, well, come on now. I'm flat or I'm sharp? I mean, it's finally, I said, this is not going to work. And uh, I just took what I know. And, uh, but, you know, people who know, they know when something's discordant, something's off a key, something's not right. And what he's saying here is when we sow discord, we are trying to alienate brethren. We're trying to, for whatever, get our little jollies out of it, or it makes us feel better, you know. It's crazy what we feel, but it's called the alienation. Legally, it's called the alienation of affection. And uh, it's interesting how that uh, there's still actually a couple of states in America that have alienation of affection laws. They're called homebreaker laws. It just so happens a few weeks ago, I read about, I was just, I was intrigued and, and appreciative, frankly. It was in North Carolina. North Carolina is one of the few states that still has a homebreaker law. 
And that is this, if you can successfully prove that your relationship, though difficult, was, uh, was hindered by a third party, someone who came in and alienated the affection of your loved one, you can actually sue that person. Well, this man actually did that. He had been married for 12 years. Uh, it was not the best marriage, but they were... So the husband actually sought counseling, and they went to counseling. But something just didn't seem right, and so he hired a private investigator, found out that there was another man who had come in there and had an affair with his wife. And so they were actually making progress until this third party came in. He ended up suing the guy, got $750,000 for alienation of affection. I'll tell you one thing, that would stop some affairs, amen? Well, I'll tell you what, but thank God for those kind of states still have those laws, but that's called the alienation of affection. Tell you one thing, if that happened in God's family, everybody'd be broke. Alienating the affection of two people in the church, causing a church member to hate his pastor, causing someone else to saying something to purposely do that that would hurt their feeling about that person. That's called the alienation of affection. That's exactly what God's talking about here. You'd say, well, it's just an unloving thing to be a gossip. No. It's actually speaking evil of the law of God. You'd say, well, it's not unloving. Well, it is unloving. But the law is an instrument of love. The Ten Commandments are just, for example, are just ten implications of true love. If you really truly love God, He'll be first in your life. If you really love God, you will not lie about your neighbor. If you really love God, you won't steal from your neighbor. Love, the Ten Commandments are just the 12 features of love. Jesus said that. Matthew 22, verse 40, God said that all the law and all the prophets hang on this. Everything hangs on love. All the law and all the prophets are actually, they're all about love. I always bristle when some uh, unknowing, often inexperienced Christian says things, the Old Testament is about the law and the New Testament's about love or grace. I'm like, oh, good night. You are such an ignoramus. I don't even know where to start with that. But the fact is, all of the law, all of the prophets hang on love. The whole Bible is about love. Genesis is as much about love as uh, Romans is about the law. They're, they, they're equal. All of it hangs on that. Look what Romans 13, 8 says, love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. God is saying here, when we, when we speak about somebody else, when we're unloving, then we're unlawful, because an unloving act is breaking the law of God, and God is serious about His law. It is, when we, when we do that, we are saying God's law means nothing to me. I don't care about God's law. I'm not going to be held in. I'm not going to be restrained by anything. I'm a free person, free to do what I want. No, we are not free to do what we want. We are to live within the confines and the boundaries of the law of God because it is an implication of true love. True love is something that loves God's law. It's to be respected. We see it in the news all the time. For example, the royal family in Britain. It seems like they uh, seem to uh, 
almost uh, enjoyed disrespecting the family and the crown. Scandals a few years ago, uh, divorcing someone to get another one, drunken carousings, and it seems like something's always coming down. But there's something interesting about the queen. You never see the queen doing that. Never see the queen out doing this. Never see the queen out doing that. She stoically takes the brunt of whatever her family does. That's because it's her laws. It's, she's set the parameters, and they're just acting crazy. But they are disrespecting the queen. They are disrespecting her laws. They're disrespecting her memory when they do that. The same thing is true in our life. Our God is king. Our God has laws. Our God is a royal God. He's a royal family. God says you are part of a royal priesthood. Act like it. Don't criticize people because when you do that, you are breaking the law of God. It's not just about, you know, I kind of have a loose tongue. No. God says you are breaking God's law. It is a law. It is ill. It is unlawful and it is an illegal thing to do. There are three reasons why Pastor James says we ought to avoid slander. Number one, because we're brethren, we're family. You need to cover for each other. Never excuse sin, never, you know, try to enable sin, but certainly we ought to be careful about what we say. Number two, we ought to be careful because the law, it's perfect. And when something's perfect and we're imperfect, I don't think we ought to be saying anything about it. Number three, because of God, because of others, because of the law. And number three, finally, because of God himself. Again, he goes even deeper now into this verse 12. In fact, let's all read it together. Ready? Begin. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? There's another reason why we should never slander. There's another reason why we should never speak evil of somebody. Because God is sovereign. He is the lawgiver. He is the one who judges, not me, not you. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean governments can't make laws. Obviously, this doesn't mean that dads or moms can't make laws. Obviously, this doesn't mean that spiritual leaders can't make uh, rules. No, that's not what that's talking about. When it says there's one lawgiver, it's not meaning that as a father, I can't be a lawgiver. It's not meaning as a government, I can't be a lawgiver. It's meaning that according to the God's kingdom, there all the people are under God's law. And I'll tell you one thing, there's nobody that ever was any more criticized than Jesus Christ. He is the lawgiver, and yet people criticized him for breaking the law. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, behold, this man is a gluttonous and a wine-bibber. This man is just a party-goer. He's an alcoholic. He's a friend of the worst kind of people. They ended up bringing him to trial, lie after lie after lie, killing him. All the tongue, saying things, writing things. Where does it all come from? Well, we find out where it comes from. John chapter 8, Jesus said to the leaders of Israel, you of your father, the devil, who is the father of lies. The father of lies. The father of slander actually is the devil. Why is slander so bad? Because it's against God and it's for the devil. When we lie, when we slander, when we say gossip things, we're actually indicating we're closer to the devil than we are God. You know what the... uh, 
Greek word for uh, slander is, uh, or excuse me, the devil is, it's diablos, same as it is in Spanish, diablos. And you know what the actual definition is? Slanderer. The word diablos or devil is slanderer. That's the actual word. I mean, you could have said a lustful, could have said, you know, criminal, but the one word that God used to describe the devil was he's a slanderer. You can count on the devil to be speaking evil things. So when I speak evil things, I'm more like my father, the devil. You'd say, what are you talking about? God's saying he is the prince and the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2. In Isaiah chapter 14, Satan was jealous of God. His name was Lucifer, and he wanted to be the most high. For, uh, five different times in that little passage there, he kept saying, I will, I will, I will be like the most high. That is the, uh, that's really the background of all lies and slander. It is this sense of jealousy. I've often wondered what people tell themselves when they criticize others. You know, I've thought about people. So I wake up in the morning and I read my Bible. I serve God. I try to make sure I'm good to my wife. I go out there in the world, try to do a good word. Uh, don't uh, live in sin and I'm not perfect by any means, but pay my bills. Try to be good to folks. Pray all day long. Give out tracts and try to build a church. And for the life of me, it always, I always scratch my head. Some people will get so mad at the church and so mad at the pastor. And I'm thinking, what do they tell themselves? What do they, what do they imagine? I mean, do they have this deep and dark, you know, oh, pastors like this? Or I thought, well, I don't know where you get all that stuff because, uh, but then I do know where it comes from. It comes from Satan. The father of lies, just dark lies and jealousy, or somehow they don't get to do what they want, or they don't like something, you know, they don't agree with something. And I've noticed that over the years, that, that uh, that's, that's demonic. That's, that's what God is saying here. When we criticize others, we are showing we are connected more to the devil. We, it's demonic. It is exactly what the devil would do. And in fact, if you want to uh, if you want to see exactly what God says, look what it says in that verse, verse 12. Who art thou? Who art thou? Do you think you're God? <laughs> so now, he's, uh, this passage has started a little bit, you know, uh, we, we're, we're supposed to be loving because we're family. Uh, okay, that's, you know, that's a little convicting. Then he says, you actually are a lawbreaker. Ooh, boy, that's kind of tough. And now God gets down to the brass tacks. Who do you think you are to ever speak about anybody else? Are you God? Are you God? Would you imagine that somehow you are God himself, that you have the right to say, these people are bad. These people are good. I don't like them. I like them. And that's what happens when we criticize. That's what happens when we say things about others. Isaiah, the tremendous prophet, he thundered out these words, I am God. There is none beside me. <laughs> I love that. There is none beside me. God said, I looked on my left and I didn't see you sitting there, Tim Pollock. 
I looked on my right, and I didn't see you sitting there, Luke Pollock. I sat on, and I, there is none beside me. I am God alone. I am God alone. As far as I know, there's no vacancies in the Trinity. God is saying, you don't have a right to say a word because you're not God. And if you're not God, don't say a word. Are you the standard for what's holy now? Who are you thinking you are? Are you, the, are you the righteous standard for what a pastor should be or what he shouldn't be or what someone should be, a father should be or a mother should be or a woman should be or a man should be? Are you the standard? Are you the standard bearer? Are you the one who says that this is the way it's supposed to be? Because I am always right. Who are you? God said. Who are you possibly thinking you are? You are not God. I am God. There is none beside me. No vacancies in the Trinity. Now, I looked on my right. I looked on my left. I didn't see you. Now, Matthew chapter 18, he said, you know what? If you were to offend one of my little ones, let me tell you how serious this is. It would be better that you would take a millstone, big old giant rock, tie it to that person's neck and throw them into the ocean, kill them, than to offend one of my little ones. Now, often we look at that and we think that's talking about children. It probably is to a point. But I think more accurately and certainly biblically, it is talking about believers. If you offend a believer, if I offend a believer, if I offend a believer's, especially their spiritual walk, and I make them go from God, and I have seen people destroy others in a church. They, today, not even going to church, divorced, all because they started being critical. God said, here's the deal. If you do that, you make it so you offend the spiritual wealth, the spiritual health of a, another person, it'd be better for you that a millstone hanged on your neck and you just might as well throw you off into the ocean. Because my friend, I'm serious about my little lambs. Jesus said, don't hurt my lambs. <laughs> don't hurt my lambs. I'm a shepherd. And boy, I'll tell you one thing. He is a shepherd that uh, is, cares about his lambs. The other day I heard a, a song reminded me of my early teenage years. And it, you may remember the song. I don't know where I heard it, but it's kind of cute. made me laugh. But the song was, Who Do You Think You Are, Mr. Big Stuff? Remember that old rock song? That old pop rock song? Who do you think you are, Mr. Big Stuff? That's kind of what God is saying in that verse right there. Who do you think you are, Mr. Big Stuff? Who do you possibly, notice the word who. Who? Now he's gone from, we need to remember, we're family. Number two, it's not as simple as just, you know, it was an unloving act. If you're a loving person, you will love the law because the law is an outgrowth of love. No, it's, it's, it's an unlawful thing. And number three, let's just get it down where it should be. When I criticize, when I defame a person, when I, when I slander, when I libel somebody in the kingdom of God, we're not talking about warning, obviously. We're not talking about protecting but when I do any of that, then God said, I am getting into the place of God, and you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. 
a rather plain illustration here. And forgive me if it offends your sensibilities. But uh, someone, uh, I was around the other day, they stepped in dog poop. They had walked through the grass and they, they were not happy. And they said, leave it to me to find the dog poop in every grass I walk in. I thought about that later. That's like some people I know. They walk through this life. And wherever they walk, unfortunately, you can count on them to find the poop. They'll find it in every family. They'll find it in every place they go. I mean, every time you're around them, it's stinky. They're just stinky people. They just find stuff, and they step in it, and then spread it around. Why in the world would we want to spread that stuff around? I think today is a day of some soul searching, some inventory. If we've spoken of someone unfairly, if we've been unkind, and certainly, of course, if we've spoken lies about somebody or things that we don't know to be true, or we assume, maybe for jealousy, maybe because they did, said something we didn't like or whatever, I think it's time to do some heart searching here. Dear God, so far today, I think I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm going to need a lot of help, Lord. Yes. This week, uh, our president's personal lawyer, Mr. Giuliani, uh, <laughs> he got big hot water. He butt-dialed a reporter. Unknowing to him, his cell phone, he pressed a button in his pocket or something, and the thing was on. And the reporter heard everything he was talking about for several minutes. Talked about cash, talked about other things. I thought, oh my goodness, unbelievable the crazy things that happened. Not long ago, my wife and I were chatting, and I mentioned somebody, and Siri said, do you want me to call so-and-so? My phone was listening to me. I would turn you off. I don't know. What if you butt dialed? And what if your phone was on all day long and everybody in the church could hear what you're saying? That would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> Siri is listening. <laughs> But more importantly, God is listening. God is listening. He is. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.